I've been looking forward to this moment because this guy is the real deal. I'm so excited for you to hear from him, but he also likes to tease. No, I just got a question. I don't oh, like to tease. Because oh, oh. I've been looking forward to this moment too. Oh, man. Pastor Nate, I, I know that you go to a bunch of Gophers games. <laughs> I do, actually. You do. Yeah. What jersey do you usually wear at the Gophers games? Well, if I, if I go to the Gopher game... I so I do, I do, I'm on ESPN. I do a show called First Take. We argue a lot. It's like one-word answers. What jerseys do you wear when you go to the Minnesota Gophers games? Football jerseys. Football jerseys. All right, better question. The U of M, which is, which, what is U of M, what does that mean to you? Oh, see, everybody that knows me knows see, that I'm a Michigan one fan. One word answer. I see it. Wait, what, what, what is a U of M, what does that mean? Which? It's a university. Of? Come on, Pastor <laughs> Nate. Oh, man. <laughs> you got me, man, you got me, I, that's true. I will say, it is Minnesota all the time unless they play Michigan. Unless they play Michigan. But when you're at the games, what jersey are you wearing? If they're playing each other? If you're just at a game. If I'm at a gopher game, most of the time I'll I just tell y'all, he's wearing Michigan jerseys, man. Don't let this guy fool That's you. Right. He's wearing right. Michigan jerseys. The yes. U of M for he's a Michigan yes. man. Yes. I respect it. I respect, I'll say it for you. Well, I, I just wonder, I mean, you went to Texas, right? I did. So when you go and do your college football analyst for ESPN, what do you talk about? I am unbiased. Oh, let's see, that's, you gotta play both ways. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad to have you and we're so excited and uh, you know, getting ready for today. I know that there's a lot of people that perhaps have never met you before. Yeah. Maybe they've seen you on ESPN, but they didn't know you were you yeah. when we put the announcement out that Sam Macho is coming. Yeah. And uh, to get ready, I read your book, or at least the first nine chapters so far. Yeah. And uh, this is a phenomenal book. Mm. And uh, obviously you've got your life story in it, you've got a lot of your lessons, your faith story that's in it. And uh, give us a little teaser on what this thing is about. Definitely, well, um, just quick background on me for those who don't know, my name is Sam Macho. Uh, I've played nine years in the NFL for the Arizona Cardinals, Chicago Bears, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My one Bear fan here. You're not in Bears country, um, but all of us are used to losing to the Packers. Okay, moving on. Um, uh, <laughs> at least Aaron Rodgers doesn't own y'all. He owns the Bears. He doesn't own y'all, maybe. Um, yeah, so I played nine years in the NFL, and I, I retired a couple years ago, and now I'm an ESPN college football and NFL analyst, so I'm usually on shows like First Take, arguing with Stephen A. Smith. That's why I'm used to this. Yes. Um, and yeah, so that's a little bit about me and my background, uh, but this book... Uh, it's called Let the World See You, um, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. And it really was birthed out of pain. Uh, it was birthed out of struggle. I remember I just finished my seventh year in the NFL and I'd signed this like multi-year contract. Right now, finally, like every other contract I had was like year to year, like the, the minimum and maybe you'll make it, maybe you won't. And I signed like the big deal, like a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. You are the guy, you are the star, you are the starter. I had made it and I was miserable. I was miserable. Um, I had somewhere down the line started to put my identity in what I did and what people thought about what I did as opposed to who God said that I was. And it never works that way. It never works. And so I remember I was going into a training camp. It was a week before training camp. 
like I mentioned, I signed the deal. I was the guy, you know, married, kids, everything was going great. And I remember um, on the outside, it looked like it was great. On the inside, I was struggling. Didn't have a lot of friends to talk to. I wasn't loving my wife the way that I felt like I should be loving my wife. Wasn't loving my kids the way that I wanted to love my kids. I remember sharing with one of my friends what was going on. I had like an honest moment with him. We were sitting down at a, at a restaurant and I remember sharing with him like, dude, I'm not doing good right now. And I'm not used to having those conversations because I'm the guy like with the smile and the laugh and the jokes and on stages and and I think God was ready to show me a little bit more of what he had in store for me. He needed me to go through some things. And so I remember sharing with this friend how, how I was struggling with doubt, with fear and security. And uh, as I'm sharing with him some of my struggles and fears and failures, he says, dude, I'm concerned about you. Like, yeah, on one, end, on one hand, you have it all together. But on the other hand, I'm concerned about what happens when this thing that you love and that you care about, that you put your identity in, this football thing, is taken away. Tired, through injury, I'm concerned. And as he starts sharing this, I, I begin to, to cry. Anybody who knows me, like I'm the guy like with laughing and joking, I'm not the crier. And I begin to cry and he looks at me in my tears, in my fear, my insecurity, and as I'm crying, he says, um, he says two things, he says first, Sam, I've heard what you said, but I just wonder, he said, maybe God is writing a book in your life and you may only be on chapter two. Despite all that you've been through, maybe God is doing something in your life and this is only the beginning. And he looked at me again and he said, no, by the way, it's really nice to see you, the real you. And so this book is really about what it means to be seen and to be known and to be loved by Jesus, to be authentic, to be real. Because mm. um, especially now, it seems like we all love to, to pretend. Yeah, we present something to everyone else, but it's not 100%. Yeah. We're not showing or revealing our insecurities, our thoughts, our worries. I think that identifies with just about anybody. Um, and especially those that have been hurt yeah. or wounded because they don't want to take the chance of being wounded again. Yeah. And uh, it's taken people in all of our lives to speak life and hope in the middle of those moments to kind of bring our, our guard down, if you will. Uh, in your book, you talk about the journey that you've been on. Um, your family's great. You've been uh, to Nigeria? Yeah. So talk a little bit about Nigeria. What Definitely. does Nigeria Absolutely. mean to you? Yeah, so, so my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. I got a chance to go there. We go there every summer. We do medical mission work over there. I, my wife is actually from Nigeria as well. She was born and raised there. We actually met. Um, this, let me tell you how God works a little bit. The first servers didn't get this, so y'all gonna get this. Um, so I was so I would go there for every Christmas, every New Year's. We'd go there and celebrate the holidays, and uh, and y'all gotta hear later on. Y'all gotta ask Tanner and Sarah their engagement story, right? Because they got a great story. I think theirs is better than mine. Um, Tanner Morgan. Uh, so long story short, like I'd go there every Christmas, every New Year's, we'd go there in the summer as well. So I was about 15 years old, went on this trip, and right around that same time, there was this other young girl who happened to live in Nigeria. She, uh, she, the long and short of it is, she had been living in this city called Jos. 
anyone who knows Nigeria, uh, you know, Joss is, there you go, my one Nigerian brother. Um, <laughs> all we need is one. All we That's need it. is one. You know what I mean? Kind of like the Bears fans. Yeah, exactly. Like the Bears fans. You know what I mean? We're proud. Um, she was living in a city called Jocelyn, and Jocelyn, there was a bunch of turmoil going on. There was war. There was bombings. There was so much chaos. And her dad had died when she was young. She had five siblings. So it was the six of them. She was two years old. Her dad died. And it was just left with her mom. And family didn't have a lot. And so she was actually staying with one of her aunts. Her and her twin brother staying with an aunt in Joss. It's chaos, turmoil, confusion, bombings. Um, and finally, her mom called. Like, there was one day where they couldn't find her. 12 or 13 years old, couldn't find her and her brother. And so finally, like after all the chaos, a day or so later, they found her and her, the, her mom called and said, I need her back home. Like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So she comes back home. And around that same time, my grandmother, who was getting older, she had diabetes, she needed someone to take care of her. And my grandma's like a very, like she's like a, she was a tough, tough lady, right? Kind of like you, Pastor Nate, oh, very. So tough. You know. Uh, and so she had just kicked out the, the previous young girl who was staying with her and needed someone to take care of her. And so my dad called up his friend and says, hey, do you know anyone who can help take care of mama? And this woman says, well, how about my daughter? So at 15 years old, this young girl moves from the city she was living in to the village to take care of this 80-year-old woman. Right around that same time, I come on this first medical mission trip. I was finally old enough to go on this trip. I go on this trip. And, I, and I'd seen this young girl like from afar, but we never talked, didn't really speak. And I, I was there with 20 or 30 American missionaries. This one older lady named Miss Alice who was with us, 67-year-old lady from Florida. And we're sitting down about halfway through the trip. And she looks at me, she says, Sam, you know, you're going to make a great husband one day. And I'm like, Miss Alice, you're like 60. Like, me, this shit. Like, I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, just chill, you know? And she's like... And she says, and you never know, the woman of your dreams might be right under this very roof. Mind you, we're in a village in Nigeria, 7,000 miles away. And as she says that, my wife, my wife's name is Ngazi, which means blessing. Um, as, as she says that, Ngazi walks by, right? We didn't speak. I was like shy and scared and weird. I was one of those kind of kids. Didn't speak. But I would see her year after year, and she was taking care of my grandmother year after year after year, and finally... My rookie, after my rookie year in the NFL, I was 23 years old, finished the season. I went over with Nigeria with one of my teammates named Calais Campbell. Uh -huh. and, he see, and he was like my best friend. Mm. Knew everything about me, ins and outs, right? And he, we talked about relationships and life and football, everything. And we land in Nigeria, and he just finished telling me about this, this girl that he was in love with. And he was like, you know, just this girl, and she was great. And I was telling him about some of my likes and dislikes, all these things. We land, um, he sees her. And he says, bro, who is that? She's beautiful. I'm like, bro, chill. You were just talking about this other girl. Like, what are you? <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not talking about for me. Like, this is everything you've talked about and more. Like, what are you waiting for? She knows your family. She loves your family. She knows you, the real you, the you that's over in the village, serving, giving, loving. What are you waiting for? And so in a lot of ways, he kind of pushed me. And later on that year, we, we you know, so um, we, we, I'd love to leave this part out, but I can't. Cause so so um, I was, he was like, talk to her. And I was like, I'm kind of scared. I was very scared. Um, that was an NFL linebacker, like all these things. I was, yeah. You were nervous. Yeah, I was nervous. I was uh -huh. nervous, right? And, um, and so anyways, finally, like about halfway through the trip, we get a knock on the door. 
right? Like boom, 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 knock on the door for a wake-up call. And uh, she was the one doing a wake-up call. We do morning devotions, all that stuff. And so anyways, she knocks on the door, hey, good morning, we'll have a devotion in about 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm like all right, great, thanks. And Clay and I, my teammate, were rooming together. And she said, um, yeah, devotion in 30 minutes. I say, okay, great. She says, no, oh, by the way, I'd love to talk to you sometime today if you have a chance. And I was like, oh, yeah, uh, maybe, uh, yeah. You know, I was just super, your heart like my heart was like, doo 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 and so, um, and I'm, I'm like closing the door, closing the door, Calais is saying, oh, she likes you, she likes I was like, bro, chill, <laughs> just chill, let me live. And so later on that day, we get a chance to talk for a bit, and uh, the long and short of it is, anyone who knows my wife, she's very like laid back, reserved, like not very talkative. Well, we have like a one-on-one -on -one kind of meeting, and, and I kind of pull her aside and say, so what do you want to talk about, right? I was like, big bad, tough guy. <laughs> She looks at me, she says, I think I like you. Mm. Mm. And then you said. And I said, I, I mean, I, 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 like, I like you too, too, like I, I like you too, you, yes. And then, but then I said, and I'm not exaggerating, like, that's what I did. And I said, well, now that that's out there, what do we do next? And her response, this is, it's probably the reason why we got married. Her response is, I think we should pray. Mm. Come on now. Yeah. And so we prayed, yep. And so we prayed, um, we kind of left, and God just did his thing, right? God just did his thing. The great thing about God is that, like, even when we're not even thinking about it, God is consistently doing his thing. These last couple days, I just came from the Super Bowl, right? I was, uh, I was in the Super Bowl, uh, I partnered with an organization called International Justice Mission. And so I was there and on behalf of them speaking at this Super Bowl event. And Frank Wright, who was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts, he was at this event. He coached me in 2011, my rookie year in the NFL. And mind you, like that was my rookie year and I went through some ups and downs. I'd been cut a couple times. I broke my leg and tore my pec. I'd been injured a couple times. And, and I do stuff on TV now where I talk about guys like Coach Wright, try to talk about him in a positive light. And he saw me at the end of this event just yesterday, yesterday morning. And uh, I thanked him for what he did. He thanked me for what I did. And he said, Sam, you may not have known this, but everywhere I went, I was trying to bring you to our team. Like everywhere I went, I was saying, man, we gotta get Sam, we gotta get Sam. And it never worked out. You had other places that you went, but I always had your back. I think sometimes we forget that like, even when we're going through the mess, God is always with us. During those times, I'd broken my leg. I was out for the season. I had torn my pec. I was out for the season. My wife, uh, around that time, right after this book came out, she had some complications after we had our third child. She had to go back for another emergency surgery. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but God was with us. And I think sometimes we just forget that like while we're going through it, God is there, right? Even when we don't want, I didn't even know, like going back to the marriage story, right? I, I was shy and scared and confused and low key like a punk, you know what I mean? Not a major punk, but kind of like. <laughs> But God was doing something. And I think sometimes we forget that like God, God is with us yes, is. even while we're going through it. And so that's, that's a little bit about my marriage. So we've been married for almost eight years now, Come on. got three kids, so Come yeah. On. I think you should stand up some more, bro, because yeah. you got something to say to these people and I yeah. don't want to get in the way. No, definitely, well, I appreciate that. Well, um. <laughs> Joking, kidding. Um, 
So after kind of this season of, I told you about some of the ups, like all the things that had happened, the contracts and the joy and married and kids, um, there was still some doubt and still some fear and still some insecurity. Um, and funny enough, I think I'm realizing that we're all going through that, especially here. Especially here. And I was on my flight yesterday coming from LA. We'd stopped in Phoenix and had a layover and then we popped on another flight from Phoenix to, to here. And on my flight from, from LA to Phoenix, there's this man who was sitting next to me. And y'all know how it is, COVID and mask and like kind of keep your distance. He was coughing a little bit too, so I was kind of like, yeah. I ain't gonna lie to you. I was like, uh, you know what I mean? I don't wanna, uh. And so, uh, but God, like, the Spirit of God, for whatever reason, was like, hey, I need you to talk to this man. And I was like, uh, right? And God said, I need you to talk to this man. So I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? Where are you going? He had a thick jacket, right? He said, I'm going to Guadalajara, Mexico. Dad just died. This morning, my dad died, so I'm on a flight to go be with him. I didn't know what to say, so I was like, well, well um, couldn't imagine your loss. I said, what about your mom? He said, my mom died when I was little. He said, and even throughout these past years, this man was 60, 60 something years old. He said, it feels like my family has also been ostracizing me. Almost like my family has been trying to take me out. I don't even know what to do. I don't know where to go. He shared with me, he'd actually try to take his own life three different times. After he shared that, he's like, that's pretty stupid, isn't it? I said, no, it's not dumb. You're not dumb. You're not stupid. You are brilliant. You are intelligent. God has a plan for you. That's why I kept you alive. That's why you're in this seat that you're in today, because God has a plan for you. A lot of us may not have gone all the way like my friend Jose on that flight. Some of us may have had thoughts, doubts, fears, concerns. But God has a plan for you. As I was thinking about what I was going to share with you all this morning, just this word kept on coming to me of like, God sees you. God really sees you. Like in this world where we're hiding and pretending and covering up and leaning away, and God sees you. And not only does he see you, but he knows you. And not only does he know you, but he loves you. See, at that lunch with my friend, while I was sharing with him all of my fears and my doubts and my pain and my frustration, he told me, he said, hey, Sam, maybe God's writing a book in your life. But he also said, it's really nice to see you, the real you, not the pretty put together, the real you. My friend actually recommended that I go and sit with a counselor that day. My dad is a marriage counselor. He's been doing it for decades. So I kind of know the ins and outs, how to maneuver, how to kind of go check the box. So the very next week, 
the day we were supposed to report to training camp, NFL training camp. I was the starter, I was the star, I was the guy, I signed the contract. That morning I was in a counselor's office, therapist. And the, the, the hardest moment about that meeting was when I was sitting in that chair, before I walked into the meeting, sitting in that chair by myself with my thoughts. Because I knew what I had done. I knew the pain that I had caused. And I was afraid to share that with anybody else. But what I'm remembering is that God already knows and that God already has forgiven me for everything. And you as well. So I sat in that chair, the counselor, his name is Carrie, called me in and I'm kind of sitting, you know, laughing, smiling, trying to get through it, trying to check the box. And about halfway through, he looks at me and he says, Sam, got a quick question for you before we go. I'm like, all right, shoot. He says, what do you do when you get angry? Like, that's easy. Just try not to get angry. He said, I'll ask you again. What do you do when you get angry? I said, I'll tell you again, I just try not to get angry. He looked at me again, he said, Sam, everyone gets angry. So what do you do when you get angry? And I began to weep. And it wasn't the pretty cry, like just one little drop, like in the movies, it was like, <gasps> Like I was hyperventilating, right? And he was like, Sam, I need you to breathe. I'm, <gasps> he said, Sam, I'm going to put my hand on your chest. I need you to breathe. I'm, <gasps> Sam, I'm going to put my hand on your, on your stomach. I need you to breathe. <gasps> he said, it's really nice to see you, Sam. And oh, by the way, get used to hearing that. That conversation will begin this journey of understanding what it's like to be seen and to be known and to be loved by Jesus. We met again the next week. He kind of started to see more of my heart and my pain, how I love to beat myself up, how I love to try and be perfect and have it all together and have the smile. And, and he heard something that I said. He said, Sam, sooner or later, you're gonna have to put the bat away. And I'm like, this guy, he thinks I'm a baseball player. I play football, which means that. <laughs> it shows what you know. And he said, you know what I'm talking about. I said, no, I don't. What do you mean? He said, the one you used to beat yourself up with. Sooner or later, you have to put it away. I stepped back and I was like, or I leaned back in my chair and I said, y'all put it away. But I know exactly where to go to go get it again. See, God, not only in me, not only in Jose, who tried to take his life three times, but I think in you, God is doing open heart surgery on us. He's reminding us that we are loved, that we are his, that we are seen, that we are known, that we are worth getting to know. See, before Jesus ever started his ministry, he was baptized by John the Baptist. Remember, he was baptized and he was lifted up from the water and a voice from heaven came and said what? It said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, this is my son 
in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus got that affirmation and then he went. Miracles happened. Lives were changed, right? And I feel like a lot of us are operating from this place of, let me prove myself and then I can be enough. And God says, no, you already are enough. I see you, I know you, I love you. I was with you in the lows when you try to take your life. I was with you in the highs when you signed the contracts and gave all that money away. And I'll be with you to the end. I love you, I see you, I am for you. And you are worth getting to know. Later on in that, in that season of life for me, I mentioned I was going to this counselor and you know, crying my eyes out. And a couple weeks later, wife had the complications, by God's grace, she was okay, our baby was okay. A couple weeks later, I lost my starting spot. A couple weeks later, I tore my pec, so I was out for the season. A couple weeks later, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, my next door neighbor when I was with the Arizona Cardinals, posted this message on Facebook, and I'll, I'll end with this, asking for permission to go. He had been battling cancer for years, and he knew it was his time to go see Jesus. He was 70-something years old, married, kids, grandkids, started successful businesses. And, and so I see this message. My wife says, hey, go call him, call him, call Jerry. So I pick up the phone, and Jerry, the gregarious, laughing, loving, full of joy, man that I was used to hearing, picks up, and it was like he only had like 20% of his strength of his voice left. And... Uh, I said, Jerry, I don't know what you want me to tell you, but before you go, I need you to give me what you got. I used to sit in your house every single day getting wisdom about how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to live with integrity. Give me what you got. And he said, Sam, there's two things I want you to know before I go. These are the two most important things that I've learned in my 75 years on this earth. Number one, the most important thing you can do on this earth is to get to know Jesus. He says, God takes no greater joy than in you getting to know Jesus, his son who came and died for you and then rose from the dead so that you can live. You don't have to try and take your life away anymore. Get to know Jesus. And oh, by the way, you'll get no greater joy than in your process of getting to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus, number one. And he paused. I'm sitting there like, he said it was two things. And if that's number one, number two better be fire. Like, he looked at me, he said, Sam, the second thing I want you to know the second thing I want you to know, Sam, is the last words I ever heard from my friend, my mentor. He said, You are worth getting to know. Never forget that. You are worth getting to know. God Almighty, the God who created the heavens and the earth, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, wants to know you. He wants to know you so bad that he sent his son to die for you. To live a perfect life. 
to die, to raise from the dead so you don't have to die again, so you can have new life. He says he was with you in the valleys. He was with you in the mountains. He'll be with you in between. So get to know Jesus. I know a lot of people here may not know Jesus. See a pastor on a stage, see a star quarterback, see the voice of the Vikings, see an NFL linebacker, TV personality, and say, well, they got it together. But what about me? I'm here to say that Jesus came for you. He came for you. And you, 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 he came for you. And so what he asks of you is to put the old life away, not by performance or perfection, but by confessing, Jesus, I know I made mistakes, but I know that not only are you the son of God, but you are God. Not only did you die, but you rose. Not only if I say I believe in you, I can have eternal life. I can have life forever and also life in the now. We know what it's like to be living, but not really living. And God, I wanna live. So we're gonna pray. Some of you have never prayed this prayer before, asking Jesus to take control of your life. We're gonna pray. There's a second group, people who've probably been going to church for a long time and kind of just are over it. See what's going on in society and politics with race and we're with the church and we're over it. I wanna invite you to to open up your heart a little bit and reintroduce yourself to Jesus. Say, you know what, I've heard these pastors preaching and these guys on stage, but God, I wanna get to know you. So teach me about you. We're gonna pray for that group as well. My prayer is that you would see yourselves the way that God sees you. You're not stupid. You're not dumb. You're not a failure or a fraud. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my daughter. I take great joy in you, not in what you do, but in you. It's so good to see you. Let's pray. Father God, I want to pray for uh, that first group, God, those people who have never accepted you as their savior, God. We all are on a crash, crash course collision with death. God, I pray for that first group, God. If you haven't prayed this prayer, pray this. Uh, God, I know that I've messed up. I know I've made mistakes, God. I know that I'm not enough, Lord, but in you I have victory. God, pray that you would come into my heart right now, into my life, change my life. God, I want to be born again. I want to have this new life that I keep on hearing about, God, that I see in people and friends and family. God, give me a new life, Lord. I want to believe in you, Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to come down in that water and come up and hear that voice from heaven saying, this is my son, my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. God, I want that, Jesus, please, because I've never had it before, Lord. That's what I want. I know it's gonna be a battle after this and all these, but that's what I want right now, Jesus. For that second group, people who have been coming to church and 
going to the Bible studies and praying before their meals and all the things, checking the boxes. God, I pray that we would repent of our idolization of things that aren't you. Because you want us, God. You don't want our things. You want us, Lord. I pray that we would see you the way that you see us and we would see ourselves that way, Lord. God, forgive us of putting all these things at your altar but not putting ourselves in our hearts, Lord. God, I repent. God, I'm turning back from my, my ways, Lord. I want to know you so much more. Get to know Jesus. But remember, each and every one of you, you are worth getting to know. It's in Jesus' name we pray.